life is complicated and overwhelming enough, especially for those in mission-driven work. Let's make your journey to health as simple and sustainable as possible. I'm Lisa Baker, and I want to welcome you to the Simply Health Coaching Podcast, where it's the food and it's more than the food. On this podcast, we'll talk about the food that you put in your mouth and everything else in your life that nourishes you or doesn't. With special attention paid to the problems and opportunities facing women over 40 burning out in mission-driven work. Season 1 focused on the food we put in our mouths and a few other parts of our lives that can affect our relationship with that food. In Season 2, we're focusing on conversations with women burning out in mission-driven work, conventional and alternative practitioners who support them, and with others whose lives intersect with them and their organizations in particular with individuals looking to implement innovative ways to fund the holistic health of these women. My vision is a world in which you can be well while doing good. My mission is to give you the simple resources and practices and some helpful connections to get there. Let's get started. Today's podcast is brought to you by Eat Your Way to Health, my group health coaching program for women burning out in mission-driven work. What makes this program different from other programs? I've spent more than 20 years in the nonprofit sector, from church to education to 501c3, so I understand the stresses that are specific to mission-driven work. For more information and to apply for the September 2021 cohort, go to isgood slash eat program. That's is dot gd slash eat program or follow the link in the show notes and if you're not in need of coaching and are looking to do some good in the world consider donating to the eat scholarship fund details at simplyhealthcoaching.com slash gift and that link is also in the show notes welcome i'm here today with sharonda simmons With more than a decade of executive leadership experience, Sharonda Simmons has a proven track record of building high-performing teams and creating sustainable infrastructure. She has a deep-rooted passion for social justice and has served as a trained facilitator in intergroup dialogue for over 15 years. She has trained and facilitated social identity development curriculum for universities, educators, nonprofit professionals, and community members since 2007. It's Sharonda's personal belief that agencies are most successful when social justice and equity principles are embedded in the systems and fabric of an organization. Sharonda has a track record in cultivating strong, inclusive, and mission-focused teams. She most recently served on the executive team at Ozone House as Director of Education and Outreach, overseeing the agency's community outreach and education initiatives. Prior to working at Ozone House, Sharonda served as the executive director of Arrowwood Hills Community Center, where she spearheaded the agency's revisioning and capacity building efforts. Sharonda has had the honor of serving in a variety of volunteer leadership positions as well. She served on the board of directors for the Young Nonprofit Professionals Network and currently serves as a board trustee for the Women's Center of Southeastern Michigan. So many good places mentioned in there. So many of them are familiar. I'm like, oh, great, you were there. (laughs) In 2019, Sharonda was selected as one of 18 leaders of color to participate in the Champions for Change Fellowship, a year-long fellowship aimed at addressing social justice, racial equity, and increasing diverse leadership in the nonprofit sector. 
In 2020, she founded Thrive and Shine LLC, a professional development and mentorship space geared towards supporting BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, and people of color, young professionals. Sharonda earned her bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan in English and African-American studies. When she's not inspiring others, you'll find her in the boxing ring mm, and spending time with family and friends. Sharonda, you were telling me as we were getting started that your energy is kind of low. And just reading that bio, I'm like, well, no wonder her energy is low. Look what she's done. <laughs> Amazing. So welcome. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yes. So as a health coach, I often talk about our food and lifestyle choices as being kale or kryptonite. At their extremes, they, e they can either nourish us deeply or toxify us. So tell us, what's your kale? What's the one thing you do daily, or at least try to do daily, that has the most impact on you living a healthy life? Ooh, I would say journaling. That's probably my biggest kale. It's, I've been doing it for years. I've saved all of my journals, but it's my time to like breathe. It's the time to sort of center and get like my, my vision and purpose for the day or to just kind of do like a temperature, temperature check of where I am. So that's definitely my consistent like kale. It feeds me. I can be whoever I am in that like writing space. And so, yeah, that, that's mm. kale. I love that. And I will confess that I'm a terrible journaler. I do not do it well. I just started <laughs> doing it daily, just making myself sit down and do it. And I will confess that I don't do it at the same time every day. I don't get up in the morning first thing and do it, but that could be part of my problem, I guess. <laughs> but I'm determined I'm going to do it for a month and see what happens because I've heard so many people talk about exactly what you're saying, that this is their kale. I'm like, okay, you know? I'm going to have to try it. <laughs> What's funny too, though, is I've realized there are some times where I actually don't have words to put into a journal. And so I scribble. <gasps> yeah. So if you're finding that you don't have words, I found that the motion of physically just getting out whatever is there will sometimes turn into words or sometimes it turns into like a doodle or a pattern but literally I will just draw circles or sometimes when I'm in a meeting that doesn't or a space that doesn't feel good that I can't quite get out of I will like if you were to peek it's not me taking notes avidly taking notes over there <laughs> Sharonda, that is amazing. I have never heard anybody say that. And that sounds like amazing advice. I think I'm going to try it because I think that's part of it is I sit down and I'm like, I got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I got no, nothing. See, people, <laughs> people make you feel like things have to be, even when it comes to health, right? Or journaling, yeah. there's like a perfect way to do it. And I think we have to combat that sometimes. So I'll even just do words, like the oh. first word that comes to my mind. And then I'll maybe start writing from that, or it's just a couple sentences, or there's days where it's just in giant bold letters. I can't. Oh, no, I can't. <laughs> days where I'm just like, thank you. And that's like literally all that I feel. And so it really is just the moment to like, honor what is coming up and not to get to a particular place that's like a written archive of, of what's going on mm. it's just for my momentary like space of where I am versus like I don't have to go back and look at it and it makes sense yeah oh that's so interesting and another thing I want to kind of poke at is that you said that you've you've kept all your journals yeah how far back <sighs> probably since 2000 
at least since 2010, probably like 2008, 2009. Wow. Just boxes. Like whenever I move, I'm like, oh, this is such heavy books. They're the journals. They're not. (laughs) That's so interesting. I have a dear friend who's, oh my goodness, she must be in her nineties by now who has kept, you know, a daily diary sort of thing Mm -hmm. for decades. And she was joking the other day that her, her daughter-in-law thinks that she's got such a great memory. She's like, no, it's actually because I go back and I read every day. I read what I wrote five years before on that date. And she's <laughs> <laughs> so good though. I love that. What I found sometimes is if I'm really struggling, I will just kind of like feel led to like, look at her like, oh, that's a really pretty journal. Like, let me open that up. And I promise you, nine times out of 10, whenever I've done that, it's almost like I've looked back on something. It's given me an answer or insight into how I'm feeling in that moment. It's like I, and it's this reminder that like some of my answers already have inside of me. I just need to like go back to this space. Oh, I love that. That's why I keep them is because it's like, oh, wow, look at where you come or whoa, you have the answer, sis. (laughs) Yeah. Sort of the way other people use a Bible or some other scripture, just like assuming it's going to open to the page that you're meant to be reading at that point. That's beautiful. And it makes me think that, you know, as I started this journaling project, I thought, you know, I think part of my hesitation is I I just don't want anybody else to read it. I don't ever like, I don't like sharing that kind of writing. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason I finally decided to do it was like, you know what, I can write it and just throw it away. Like, that's okay. (laughs) But now you've given me a lot of food for thought. Okay. All right. Well, that's great. So I've learned a lot about journaling in two minutes. (laughs) All right. Now confession time. What's your kryptonite? What's the one thing that you know is not great for you, but it sneaks in sometimes. So going back to um, when I look at a journal and I'm like, oh, there's that lesson. I sometimes know the thing to do, but I don't practically do it. And so (laughs) that's my biggest kryptonite is when I don't listen to myself. And so, you know, we're just talking, you know, before you hit record about my energy being a little bit low. And so I'm proud of myself because I'm actually like learning to listen. But literally, if this were just even maybe several months ago, I tend to sort of push beyond what I'm, what myself is telling telling me and it doesn't it's not a service to me and so I'm like oh it's because my brain and my calendar says one thing but my body is saying something (laughs) else and so my kryptonite is I I lean towards you know what the calendar says or I lean towards what someone else's expectations are and Mm. it just it doesn't serve me well most of the time yeah I, I keep pushing and I don't listen Right. Yeah. So you, you mentioned expectations. I wonder if you've done the, have you done the four tendencies assessment? I don't think I have. Oh, that one's all about expectations and it's so interesting. Um, It's by Gretchen Rubin and she talks about, you know, we have two sets of expectations in our lives. We have the internal ones and we have the external ones. And she's basically identified four different types of people based on how we respond to those internal and external um, expectations. And so, for example, the, there's a rebel who uh, doesn't respond well to anybody's expectations, whether it's their own or somebody else's. And then there's the obliger who um, is very good at meeting others' expectations and not so good at meeting their own. And then there's the, the, the upholder who is like, I will meet every expectation, whether it's mine or somebody else's. <laughs> I see you laughing. <laughs> 
And the final one is a questioner who's like, yeah, I'll meet those expectations, but you have to explain why, like why something has to be done. Like I need to, it makes it need to make sense to me. And we had such a good laugh in my family because my husband heard about this and he's just like, oh, well, I'm totally a rebel. I'm like, Mm, I don't think so. You, you want to think you are, but I don't think you are. And so the four of us did it. And it turned out that we had one of each in our family. Oh, now, wow. And he said, I thought I was a rebel. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Your son is a rebel. <laughs> you, you're a questioner. <laughs> I will fully admit to being the upholder. I am such a rule follower. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, me too. Me too. Oh, I'm going to take that. It's really great. Yeah, I'll share the link with you. It's, it's called The Four Tendencies, and I think she might have changed the, the name a little bit, but you can still find it by Googling that. <laughs> oh, okay, so yeah, so you're learning a little bit more about sometimes you don't have to meet those expectations that are in your your journal, your diary, rather, your, your day timer, mm -hmm. and other beats like, nope, I work for myself now. I don't have to do that. Yeah. So now that you're working for yourself, tell us about what you do and how you came to do it. We sort of did a quick overview of your journey, but I suspect that your journey has always had a really, really strong social justice component, no matter what you were doing. Yes. So I guess I'll start with, I think at this space, I really am leaning into like equity and engagement consulting. And so I do organizational development consulting. So work with a lot of nonprofits or folks in the social impact space who need someone to sort of guide them through like change and transition, which really leans into like my past work, which is all about being in agencies where either folks have experienced trauma or there's, there's I come in during a time of change. And so on the org side, it's that org development. I'm a nerd for strategic planning work. And it's it's helping them think through it through an equity focused lens. How do you make sure that it's not just a small group of people that are making the decisions, but how do you really engage all stakeholders? And stakeholders aren't just the board, they're the people who are doing the direct service work, they're the social workers, they're the counselors, and they're also your clients. And so that's a lot of what I do now on the organizational side. And then for personal coaching, work with a lot of young professionals in leadership positions, new EDs, new program directors, folks who are in this space where they're trying to really like find their voice mm. or they're sort of, they've got this passion that sometimes connects or sometimes doesn't to what they do externally in like the nonprofit space and they need someone to help sort of walk and like help them make that vision clear so that's where I am now in terms of my coaching and consulting mm. I'm doing that work what led me there are all of those experiences yeah. <laughs> like I, I it's just amazing in the agency <laughs> and I see myself through the people so Graduated from University of Michigan during, you know, our great economic downfall. <laughs> and, mm -hmm. so, and, and wondered, am I ever going to get a job? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I remember vividly at the graduation ceremony, they're like, we don't know if you'll find employment, but you're the leaders in the best. So try <laughs> that thing out. <laughs> Everything you've been taught about, okay, you go to school, you get this degree, you get a good job, you'll be all right. Mm -mm. And so I <laughs> spent almost a year at like Lens Crafters and then someone was like, hey, you should be an AmeriCorps volunteer for this agency called the Neutral Zone, which is in Ann Arbor, Michigan Teen Center. And so I fell in love and spent several years there doing nonprofit work, doing youth led work 
doing program management and oversight and then shifted, like you said, into that, that ED role in my last position at Ozone House where I was a director of education and outreach. And so I have a background, like I grew up in a single parent household, didn't have a ton of, of money, but I was always a kid who I got really good grades. When you're talking about that holder, I was going to meet everybody's expectations. Yeah. <laughs> but I found even in my childhood, there were things that weren't met for me because people couldn't see that I had these other things going on, that I was like maybe going to school and I was hungry, but I could still get that A. And so what I loved about the work that I did is I think these spaces help see people more holistically. And so like, that's what dove me into being like an educator, but not in the formal teacher sense is I, how do we help young people and families accomplish their goals and meet their needs that are very tangible and also could be, you know, I just want to be a better singer that I'm 17, but also I'm having housing issues. And so that's the work that I've done for the past like 10 years that I loved. Mm. So sort of my transition was I've always been a caregiver and that's really great. But if you don't have proper boundaries, it's not, it's not so great. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, fast forward 2019, I started having some health issues and some reproductive issues. And I had maybe three or four biopsies. So like I was going to the doctors probably every week, every two weeks. And, you know, I ended up having a surgery, which went really well. But during that time, I was like, something has to like shift. Like when I kept talking to all the doctors, they're like, your blood pressure is fine. This is okay, but it's stress. Yeah. And when I looked at the predominant part of stress, it was the line of work that I was doing. And it was the fact that I was extending myself beyond my capacity. Mm-hmm. And so literally the week that I went back to work off, out of my two month medical leave, that same week, COVID, <laughs> they were like, go back home the stay-at-home order hit. And so I was like, okay, God, I think this is a sign that I'm supposed to sit down and do something different. Like you keep making me sit down and I don't like it. And so when I thought about, you know, and talked to really great mentors and support and just prayed about things, I wanted to keep doing the work that I was doing, but in a different capacity. I knew I didn't have it in me to come in every day and show up a certain way, but I could help agencies and individuals pan out and get the people who are doing that really great work to a space where they can make better systems. They can start to dream. They can start to look at their challenges as like better opportunities. And that was what was giving me energy, particularly after, you know, all of, you know, um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like all of those things. I was like, how I want to show up is helping people who have already been doing that great work get some space and some rest and some support to do that work better. Like that's where I need to show up for myself. I don't have it to give in the ways that people are asking me, but I know what I have to give. And so that's what led to me going, you know, oh, okay, I guess you're going to do coaching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that saying in the coaching space, right? Your mess becomes your message. Yeah, You coach most around what you yourself need to hear. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like authors who say you know you you write the book that you needed to read <laughs> yes yeah yeah so tell us when you think about your work specifically with uh women like yourself who are doing this amazing care caregiving sort of mission-driven work and burning out what are the commonalities that you've identified among them 
Ooh, I think that it goes back to like, even talking about socialization and expectation. I feel like, and I say I as in myself, and then also the people that I've done work with or who I've had experiences with, I have to be everything to everybody all the time because in mission-driven work, I think we have this like martyr mm-hmm. messiah tendency sometimes that we don't want to admit that says that if I don't show up, then things won't get done. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it's operating on one sense, this like deep sense of like self and purpose, but then it's also this little bit of pride, you know, if we yeah. really, you know, or a little bit of insecurity is that I, I have to be valuable in this way or something is going to go wrong. And so sometimes what I find with women who have hit this pace of burnout is if I don't do it, they'll be mad at me. Or if I don't do it, this thing will crumble. And so it becomes this point where it's it's fear-based. And so you're moving, even if your intentions are, are meant to be good, the ways in which you're moving in your workspace or your family space are from fear. If I don't do this, then that, or I should, it's this guilt, it's this fear. And that's like this unhealthy motivating factor of how people are showing up, particularly women and the way we've been socialized, like how we show up in the work. Mm-hmm. And so that's a common thing that I find, or this idea of like, I need to be seen as kind competent. You know, I was, I think, 29 or 30 when I became an executive director. And so everyone that I worked with was <laughs> 15 to like 45 years older than me. And they're like, yeah. this little baby. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Every, every position I've had, I've usually been one of the youngest or the youngest people. And I've been the only like woman of color in most mm. cases. And so for me, it's also this, like, I have to show up and be perfect or be extra competent. I have to show up and present myself in a way that shows no weakness, that shows no vulnerability, that shows that if, I, if I'm tired, I need to be tired on my own time. And so what I find that particularly for women of color, for women in leadership positions and folks in marginalized communities, when it's burnout, we're showing up with all kinds of burnout. It's society in those expectations, it's the expectations we put on ourselves. There's the guilt, there's the fear, and this kind of feeling of like necessity, like for survival, in order to move in these spaces, I kind of have to feel like I show up in a way that that really shows my competence. Yeah. And so that's like a theme that I've seen in myself and a lot of the people that I've done work with. Yeah. Yeah. That, that again, is sort of going back to the idea that there's this expectation. And sometimes it's you know, the patriarchy or whatever you want to blame it on, you know, Mm -hmm. and in other ways, it's also, it's so internalized by that. By the time we're in the workforce, we've already internalized that, you know, I, I, I'm a caregiver and I, I show up as best I can, no matter how I myself am feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And so what about working with women like that really astonishes and excites you? We're just, phenomenal. <laughs> we are. We're just really great, aren't we? <laughs> really what it is, is even in the midst 
of exhaustion, even in the midst of being really tired, really good work is still being done, that things are still happening. That's what amazes me. And so when I step into working with an organization, when I step into working with, you know, a woman who is in a leadership position and making things happen, it's imagine what that would look like if you were actually rested. Like imagine what if you are making these really good things happen, if you're being impactful in the space that you're in, what would that look like for yourself? And what would that look like from your community if you were rested? Mm. Because that to me is a part of like thriving. You know, it's one thing for an agency to, to survive and to be, to be moving and to like check the boxes, but the ability for a person to dream, the ability for a group of people to like go beyond just good work, but like great work and envisioning that comes from rest. That comes from the time to take care of yourself. And so what excites me is that time is personal in coaching. It's the time that says I've dedicated this to myself. So I have a coach myself. And so if I like need to cry, if I'm (laughs) exhausted, you know, Shabani Gambier will look at me and say, okay, let's look at your calendar and let's take some stuff off before the day is out. Or I have a revelation that is so helpful to me. And it's literally because I took the time to pause and rest that I can be creative and I can this thing that I've been wanting to do for six months when I finally took the time for me the answer comes so quickly Mm. and I think that is what's exciting and astonishing about the work I do is when you set aside the space and you have a time kind of like good soil when you are when it's good soil and it's good ground and you don't mess with the seeds, something can actually grow. And that's what I love about, about the work that I do. And that's what I see about like rest as, as, as revolutionary. It's, it's that reason. Yeah. It's just, it's so foundational. And if you think about, you know, the soil, you know, you start, you start with building up the soil with rest and then think about like, then you can start thinking about all these other inputs, like what kind of seeds are going in there and, you know, how are you watering it? <laughs> are you hydrating? What kind of food are you eating? All these things. And you're right. I think it, it really just has to start with that, creating that space and time for yourself. Yeah. What's really disturbing about that work? What, what really challenges you about it? Ooh, a few things. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, I think that One thing that is really frustrating about nonprofit work is that I see sometimes we treat our clients with so much respect or we have so much focus on how good we do the work, but there's not a lot of time in always thinking about how good we treat the people who do the work. And that just makes my blood boil. (laughs) Yes. Really hard to ask people to do all of these things, yet they are barely getting minimum wage. They are working overtime. They're working holidays, nights, weekends, or when they have something happen in their own family, leadership is like, oh, you you can't take that time off because they didn't need you. Or, you know, we we don't have enough money for that. Things we would never say to clients in like the field of social work, things we would never do to people that we genuinely care about, we do to ourselves and we do internally in these systems. Mm -hmm. And so- 
that is just really frustrating. This kind of scarcity mindset as well as there's never enough or we don't have it. It's looking at challenges. It's like the building's gonna just crumble because this thing has popped up. And so never really taking the time to evaluate the good work. And can we do the good work in a way that treats everybody better in a way that honors the values that we have on paper. And so that's the thing that gets alarming is that sometimes we also in leadership become a part of perpetuating these systems. We, because we need to meet the bottom line or because we need to, you know, make sure that the funders got what they wanted in that grant proposal, we start treating people not having that grace or that empathy for them because we're in a system that we think doesn't allow for it. And so that's the part that really um, is heartbreaking for me. Yeah. Is that you've got people who most caregivers professionally are caregivers personally. And so oh, yeah. they're going chronic, home. Chronic, chronic caregivers, caregivers right? exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're going home actively taking care of family members, taking care of, you know, incarcerated loved ones. They're actively living in being a part of systems that they're trying to dismantle and supporting folks. And so I just want agencies to to bring that in. And I think it's starting to happen more, but that's the thing that is is alarming about, you know, social work and nonprofit work is that we're always not being um, socially good (laughs) to the people (laughs) that we're serving, right? Right. So that's the thing that's been really hard to, to see. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting how much that reflects, um, coaching work too, where, where you think about, you know, how, how you speak to yourself as opposed to how you speak to others, right? The way the, the way that these organizations are treating their people is very different from the way they're treating their clients or patients or whatever. It's, it's sort of a a macrocosm of what's going on in their, in their minds at home. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether you have heard of Nell Edgington, she wrote a Sounds book. Familiar. She wrote a book called Reinventing Social Change. And I think I think you might really, really like it because she addresses exactly that. Why in this work are we coming from a place of lack? Why? And, and she actually digs into not just the, the sort of historical roots of philanthropy and uh, you know, social work. Mm-hmm. Uh, she also says, you know, there's just this mentality that yes. there, there is not enough, like there's not enough money, there's not enough people. There. And she said, you know, what, what would happen if you flip that on its head and said, you know, instead of, oh, look, there's a grant for this, we better make our square peg fit that round hole so we can get more money sitting down, like you said, giving yourself space and rest and time and saying, here's what we want to accomplish this is what's going to take, hey, who wants to partner with us, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's just so much of what you're saying reminds me of that book. And it's, it's just so beautifully said the way, the way you put that, Sharonda. So, so let's talk about what you think could reduce the amount of, or the level and or the level of burnout among women across mission-driven fields. And in this question, you can really think about, like you can speak to the women themselves, you can speak to their organizations, their bosses, the policymakers, like whoever, pick an audience and tell them, here's what needs to happen for women to stop burning out in mission-driven work. Ooh, okay. I like to speak to both. So first, I'm going to start with agencies. You need to slow down. You need to sit down. You can put an expletive in there if you want. <laughs> <laughs> take a seat, little man. <laughs> take a seat. 
see your agencies are not as productive as they need to be. And you're never going to scale to the place where you want if you don't treat your people well. And so if your employees, if your staff or the people you serve can't look at the agency as a whole and they can't look at leadership and they're not actively walking in your values, that's a problem. And so I think my question for organizations is when you look at the people who are leading in there, on a Wednesday at 2 p.m., is your executive director actively walking and moving in the values and the principles that you say your agency has? And so that's that reflection point. It's to, to slow down. Maybe something has to be moved. And exactly what you said, ask for what you can do, not for what's going to fit into some funders, you mm -hmm. know, whole because the more time you spend engaging people studies show the longer they are to stay and to feel proud about the work that they do you'll save money you'll save time and you'll save resources if you take care of and treat the people right who are doing the really good work mm. so that's my that's my thing so for that's for the organization who else you want yes. to talk to <laughs> for, for the women for women who are doing mission-driven work you are your biggest asset. You mm, are your number one priority. If you are gone today, what does that look like for the people you love? What does that look like for yourself? What does that look like for your organization? You are your biggest asset. You are your biggest gift. And so we invest in what we love. We invest in stock that we know is gonna go up. If you don't invest in yourself, you're, you're cheating yourself if you don't take that time and that space to invest. And you don't want to model problematic behavior as someone who wants to give good in the world. The way you can give good in the world is giving yourself permission to step back, to say no, to pause. Even if you just practice a pause, whether it's I'm going to go to the bathroom before I say yes, and then I'm going to go into this meeting, you know, before I commit to something, I'm going to ask myself and say, let me take a day and do that. When I actually take a day off, I'm going to take a day off, or I'm going to invest in a coach. Or I'm going to invest in a podcast that really serves me. And that's going to be my time to pause. But when you rest, you're just you're more revolutionary. You're your better, best self, and you give someone else permission to do that. And so that's my thing for women who do this work is mm. that you you deserve it. Yes. And when you lean into that, you are giving other people the permission to do that themselves. Beautiful. Oh, mic drop moment right there. <laughs> <laughs> and there's no more to say on that subject. Beautifully put. <laughs> So Sharonda, tell us what sort of offerings you have and how people can find you and connect with you and what's going on in Thrive and Shine world. Yes. So people can find me on my website. That's www.thriveandshine.com. So in as in the letter N. Okay. You can find me on LinkedIn, Sharonda N. Simmons, on Instagram, on Facebook, Thrive and Shine. So on all social media, my email is info at thriveandshinenow.com. But yes, I am going to be leading, I haven't set a date yet, but a workshop around building authentic relationships. So looking at networking, kind of flipping it on its head. And so thinking about building authentic relationships with external partners and with individuals. I think we all need a personal board of directors. And so, yeah, so that's a lot of 
of the work that I want to do in group work is helping people learn how to build your own board of directors, how to build your personal network of support systems. But I'm available to do coaching, consulting around org development, value work, DEI work, and then also again that personal coaching that I'm that person that will help you pause and to take that time. <laughs> she will make you take a nap. I will make you take a nap. Exactly. And so that's that's the work that I do, and that's how people can find me. That's great. Thank you so much. I'll make sure to link all of those up in the show notes. Awesome. Thank you so much. So honored to be here. Thank you for being here. Thanks for listening. Please note that any suggestions provided on this show are not meant to replace medical advice and the opinions of the guests on this show are their own. And Simply Health Coaching and Elizabeth A. Baker LLC neither endorse nor take responsibility for statements made by guests. Let me know your thoughts about the episode and share your biggest takeaways and aha moments. And let me know who else you want to hear from on the topic of being well while doing good. You can send me a voice message directly through Anchor, as well as some of the other listening platforms. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast in your listening app so you never miss an episode love the podcast, you can support it with a donation directly from the podcast homepage in most listening apps. If you'd like to know more about my work, visit my website at simplyhealthcoaching.com. As always, the link is in the show notes.